at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, April 24th, 2023 edition. Welcome to another week of trading, another week of learning, another week for you to take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. And that's what we are here to help you with. I'm Justin Klein, and on today's radio program and podcast, I'm going to do my best to unpack today's news, today's data, and give you some perspective so that you can make good money decisions, not just today, but tomorrow, next week, next month, and the years ahead, okay? So my goal is to answer your finance and investment questions, give you the relevant data and perspective so that you are prepared uh, in an environment that is ever-changing, ever-challenging, and I'm going to give you my straight and unbiased answer. No hidden agenda, just giving you the pros and cons. Everything has two sides of the coin, and you have to look at both, and that's what my job is here is to help you see both sides so that you're going into whatever you're doing with your eyes wide open. And... Hopefully, the, the thought process that I espouse on, on the show it kind of leaks into your thought process as well. You know, a lot of people look at things as black and white, and I try to avoid that. It's really the antithesis of good decision-making, good investing, just good life decisions, right? There's always your opportunity costs, your risk, your rewards, and you have to weigh that, and, and you're probably weighing those uh, every single day. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we get too overzealous one way or the other, right? It's, it's, it's amazing or it's terrible. Uh, usually, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And so I want to give you that so you can find out if the middle is closer to what you want or what you don't want. Okay, so I'm excited for this hour with you to help you become a more successful investor. And our anytime listener line is open at 888 chart I've got a lot of material to cover today. One is in regards to the fact that there are several questions to answer before investors can consider what to do next. And it's a good primer on kind of where we are in the market right now in regards to the economy, Fed policy, earnings, all of this is is kind of up in the air. And I'm going to unpack all three to kind of give you a sense of uh, where we're possibly headed. All right. Also, I want to touch on a few other things. One is in regards to insider buying. Corporate insiders are buying a lot of stock. So we're going to look at that. Also, the Inflation Reduction Act. There is a lot of money coming from the federal government. And some cities are excited to go and grab it. And we're going to look at some ways that they're trying to do that. 
And then lastly, we have, we're in the midst of earnings season. So some of the big data points are going to come from the big tech names as they are heavily weighted in the indices. And we're going to look at that. All right. So those are the things that are on the docket for me, as well as some voice bank questions. One is in regards to social security withdrawal and the other is Mueller Industries. So we're ready. I'm ready for your live calls at 888 chart If you're listening 4 to 5 Pacific time, give us a call. We can answer and, and talk directly. And I'm excited to talk to all of you. Now, let's take a quick primer on the market today. It was a modest update. The U.S. market was up 5 basis points. Mid-cat's up uh, about 0.1 basis points. And small-cap's down 1 basis point. So very mixed day. Value definitely did better. That was green on the Morningstar style box. And all of the growth side was slightly down. So that's where you got that mixed market. All right. Let's go talk to James in New York. He wants to talk about Emerson. Uh, yes. I'd like to maybe expand my utility holdings. And I was thinking of buying Emerson. Uh, should I wait for it to dip lower or we maybe see this popping back up to the low to mid-90s in the near term, or is it worth buying in general? Well, first off, Emerson is not a utility, okay? This would be considered more of an industrial name, right? They sell automation equipment, so they do actually have some robotic, a robotics division, so there's some secular tailwinds there, and they also have software controls, uh, intelligent devices, and so it's... It's definitely not a utility, but it is a good company. I will say that its long-term return equity uh, typically is in the mid to high 20s. Now, it is uh, kind of over-earning right now, so the odds that you get some mean reversion there are probably likely, but it's it's a good company. I think it's fairly valued here. I don't think it's cheap. I don't think it's expensive, but you're getting a good company. But understand what you're buying, too. Understand that it's not a utility. This isn't one of those uh, regular utilities that has automatic profitability, uh, basically legislated in like most utilities. This is a company who's going to have ebbs and flows of the overall economy, but I like it. So I'm going to give Emerson a thumbs up fairly valued right now on, on a technical basis. You know, it, it's fairly neutral. I don't really have, I'm not saying it's entirely bullish, entirely bearish. It's kind of in the middle of a range. Um, so if you're looking for a good company, this is it. If you're looking for a, a bullish technical setup in the near term, you know, it's kind of neutral. All right. Thanks for the call. Now we're going into a quick break, but please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream, give us a call now at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. Here. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24-7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. 
symbol BKE. What's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Now we're in in market environments right now that you can kind of classify as as very neutral, right? We had the the sell-off last year. Uh, adjusting to higher interest rates and prognosticating a slowing economy, which you know you're obviously seeing, but you also have a Federal Reserve that is inflecting, uh, and the market's also pricing that right, uh, uh, an easier monetary environment. It's not exactly gangbusters, right? The economy isn't roaring. Uh, it continues to slow, but it's also not recessionary either, although some indicators are showing that we may be slipping into a mild one. But overall, you're getting a choppy sideways market because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. You know, what is the true outlook for the U.S. economy? Where are corporate earnings going? And how will interest rates move over the next six to 12 months? You know, is inflation is coming down, but is it enough for the Fed to maybe lower interest rates? We know that corporate we're, we're in a an earnings recession, but it's an extremely mild one. You know, low to mid single digits in decline year over year, and the answers to these questions really could take months or even quarters. Now, stocks have posted double-digit gains in seven of the last 10 years. So this kind of choppy sideways market is not something people are very used to, right? So in one of those three years where we didn't get 10% gains, we had double-digit losses last year. So a meandering single-digit type of year, either positive or negative, is kind of a rarity as of late. Now, the broad market is up about 15.4% from the bear market lows in October. Yeah, 15.4. It's been pretty good since then, even though it's been a bit volatile. You have the banking crisis, but obviously liquidity is improving. The dollar is weakened, and that's one indication of that. But even though it's up 15.4, it's uh, only 1.4% higher than it was at the end of November last year. And so far this April, right, this is the last week of April, Market's up about 0.9%. It's going to be the flattest month if we stay here since May of 2022. So the question, once again, is what's the timing and depth of recession in question? And it's hard to say because there are, once again, mixed results. On On the good side, you have a clear recessionary environment for goods. But goods are quarter of our economy. This is in China where, you know, we're making a ton of goods and exporting. No. 
make a fair amount, but compared to our services side, which continues to slow, but still positive, that's holding up the economy and that's holding up the jobs market as well. Another kind of rarity that many investors are dealing with is that this is more of a traditional business cycle. You know, think of the last two recessions. They were caused by calamitous events. You had the financial crisis in 08, and then you had the COVID crisis. And both were earth-shattering type of events. But that's not what most recessions are caused by. Most recessions are just typical business cycle recessions where the Fed tightens policy, the impact is variable and lagged, and eventually it slows the economy enough where you enter a recession. That takes anywhere from six months to maybe 36 months. And the Fed only started tightening about a year ago. And from very low levels. The corporate earnings are expected to drop about 5.2% in the first quarter, and that's after a 3.8% decline in the fourth quarter. But consumers are in a relatively good place, once again, because of employment. Another is, a big factor is the Social Security bump. I think it was about 8% this year. That's a lot of people. I think there's 70 million people in the U.S. that collect Social Security. That's a lot of people that got a nice, healthy raise. So, you know, they feel a bit more confident. And so a mild to soft recession seems like a more likely scenario than a hard landing. So what does this all add up to? A non-trending environment. And I've said this for a while, you know, being in just the broad indices, you're not going to do that amazing going forward because of being heavily weighted on the growth side. Because in an environment where cost of capital is something, cash flow matters more. Strong balance sheets matter more. And if you have those two things, in rallies, you're going to be picked up a little bit more. In an uncertain environment, people are more apt to move towards those tried and true names. Those companies that they don't need to have a leap of faith to believe in. Right, that's what a lot of the 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 tech and, and software and 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 those growth companies have in common is, hey, the story is great, but you have to have a leap of faith that that story is going to play out. And in this environment, you want dividends and cash flow and strong balance sheets, and you can see what's been up lately. Companies like XPO, which is a in the the shipping industry, Intuitive Surgical, and in the Medical industry, the company's been down, Tesla, Roblox, Coinbase, all with great levels of uncertainty. And so it's important to recognize this environment. Sometimes that's the environment that you're given and you have to succeed nonetheless. And we're probably going to have more of these environments going forward as opposed to those trending environments that we've been used to for the last decade. Now we're going into a quick break. Please remember that you can call our anytime line and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening live via our, our stream, our live stream, or on AM 1220 in the Bay Area, you can call right now at 888 chart
Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Bob from Ohio. I have a question today on Verizon. It's been beaten up a lot over the past year, down over 31%. I mean, it dropped another 3% today. I'm just calling. Do you think it's a good time to pick it up? It has a dividend yield of about 6.7% forward-looking. So I'd be happy with just getting the 6%. But what do you think? Is it a good buy or, or am I going to get trapped here? Thanks. I'll look into it on the podcast. All right. Looking at Verizon, uh, I think everyone knows what Verizon does, about $155 billion market cap. And I, I wouldn't buy it because of the yield, but I do think it is cheap based on the other metrics. So current enterprise value EBIT is right about 6.3. Historically, it trades closer to 8. Okay. So uh, it is undervalued based on that. It's free cash flow remains very robust, about uh, $10 billion trailing 12 months, which is very, very healthy. Now, they do have a good amount of debt, but they, once again, they have positive free cash flow. So they've been able to pay down a bit of that debt uh, over the past couple of years as well. So we like that. Um, overall, it is cheap. Now, technically, it's not in the greatest position, but it does look like it is trying to find a bottom here right in the, the mid-30s range. So uh, I, I think uh, you know you you have to be patient with it. You have to have a long term time horizon, uh, and you have to believe that its cash flow will remain as robust as it is today. Uh, so that's what you're you're ultimately betting on. Don't buy this because of the dividend. Buy it because the company is cheap overall. Right? Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on corporate insider buying. And what's interesting here is that despite sentiment being pretty poor overall in the in the markets, I, I still talk to clients, uh, mainly mainly non-clients, not necessarily our clients, but non-clients, listeners that you know I've talked to in the past and they're thinking about getting into the market, but ultimately they're they're still pretty pessimistic. I still see this and it's it's a hallmark of a good frankly, buying opportunity when so many people are, are, are pessimistic. And corporate officers are agreeing. And more than 1,000 officers and directors at more than 600 companies bought their own stock in the month of March. This is the highest number on an individual and company basis since last May. And their ratio of insider buying to selling last month was at its highest level since September. So... Insiders are more optimistic than the general public. Now, a big part of this has to do with the financial firms and bank executives, most of all, because they saw the panic within the industry as an opportunity to buy up shares, especially those ones that were confident in their ability to withstand the recent crisis. One good example is Walt Bettinger. He's the... Uh, He's the CEO of Charles Schwab, and he bought about $3 million of the stock in mid-March. And in, insiders often are good at timing the market. They bought it in mass in March of 2020 when stocks plunged, and obviously they, they were right to do that. Last month, 
offices and directors at financial firms made up more than half of all insiders who bought their company stock. So this was heavily reliant on those uh, th- those uh, financial companies. But it was the highest share for the sector in at least two years. Now, bank stocks have stabilized, but they are still down. They haven't re- retraced their, their recent losses. But outside of the financial sector, there were buyers of companies uh, like a lot of consumer-faced companies like uh, Variety, uh, sorry, Domino's Pizza CEO. He was one that bought about a million shares in the beginning of March. And one thing you have to understand about insider buying is that most of it is predetermined. And they want to avoid the appearance of illegal trading on non-public information. So a lot of it is kind of steadily done saying, I'm going to sell this date of every month. And, and selling typically does outweigh buying. So you don't want to look at just the selling as something, as a hallmark of they don't like the stock. Because a lot of CEOs get compensation from stock-based compensation. A lot of their, you know, not necessarily cash, but stock. And this is actually goes back to the Clinton era when CEOs are making a bunch of money and they, they kind of limited how much the base salary can be. And that shifted over to, uh, shifted over to stock-based compensation, which uh, incentivized a lot of CEOs to buy back their own stock and, and kind of created that, that era. Um, so if you go back in history, that's pretty interesting. But so far in April, corporate insider transactions have slowed down a bit and kind of in line with seasonal trends. So back to kind of baseline. <clears throat> now, in March, insider buying totaled $800 million compared to $3.5 billion in selling. Once again, that sounds like a lot of selling compared to the buying, but it's not. It's actually a very nice level of buying compared to selling because, once again, selling is more common. But this is an indication that the insiders are feeling pretty comfortable with the economy and they feel like their uh, equity is expensive. This is money coming out of their own pocket. All right. Then the next and best talk, the story behind this question, where should investors stash their safe money today? Investment cash is one category. There are also others you should contemplate as well. A financial planning expert has his ideas for balancing yield, safety, in investors' cash holdings. <clears throat> but does that make sense? We'll get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your question live at 888 chart Hold on. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think 
in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Keith from Redondo Beach. Got a question for you on Social Security withdrawals. After listening to you, I've learned that if you can put off your taking Social Security until past your eligibility age, that you make about 8% per year by delaying it. So I'm clear on that. Question is, how is this impacted by whether you're working during that time frame when you delay Social Security? Does not working reduce the amount of gain that you get by delaying it? Or does working increase it? Does it make any difference whatsoever? It seems like it would have to because you're working and you're contributing. That would have to increase your benefits. There's the question. How does working or not working impact your delaying of Social Security and and the increase that you get by delaying it? Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, working definitely will help. The more that you're paying into the Social Security fund, Every single year, the more your Social Security is going to grow. That's just how the system works. So if you continue to work past 65, maybe all the way till 70, and continue to get those raises, then that's uh, ultimately a a great thing for that total ultimate payout. Uh, So it usually makes sense, especially if you have other capital to kind of live off in retirement, or like you said, continuing to work, continuing to contribute to Social Security, that will also help as well. But uh, yeah, I I always tell people that that should be a a goal. Uh, If you can't do that, that's understandable. Maybe some people just can't wait that long. They need that cash flow. Maybe they can't work anymore, or maybe they just don't have the capital to live off of or whatever. But uh, continuing to work is never, uh, I think, a bad thing as long as you can. And it keeps, keeps you moving, keeps you going, keeps the brain functioning. Uh, and all that is very important as, 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 as you age and, and, uh, and keeping your, your, fat, your faculties about you. And so the, the longer you can uh, work, I, I think that's always, uh, a, I would say always better. It's usually better depending on what you're doing. Now, my perspective today concerns the D word, and that is deflation. I know it's a word a lot of people haven't talked about in a while because everyone's focused on inflation, the anxiety around that. And we've seen the Fed raise interest rates in an effort to slow the economy and cool inflation 
And but inflation isn't the only danger that can damage the economy. Now prices, when prices go down, it's generally considered a good thing, until there is outright deflation, and that's a whole another ball game. Deflation is a, is bad news for the economy. It makes people who borrow money it's more difficult for them to pay back that money. That's where you get defaults. That's what 08 was. It was a huge deflationary bust. And frankly, you look at the reaction by the central authorities, Congress and the Fed, and it's pretty clear that they don't want to see that again. That was a very, very bad outcome. And clearly they didn't have their eye on the ball and they created this deflationary spiral that took a massive effort to spin us out of. And whenever there is some sort of crisis like COVID, they throw the kitchen sink at it to avoid deflation. Now, deflation is when consumers and asset prices decrease over time, purchasing power uh, increases. It's basically the mirror image of inflation. You know, think of you, you borrow money, right? You, you have a mortgage. In an inflationary environment, that mortgage is, is fixed, but your income might go up. You get raises. It's easier for your company to give you raises because overall profits tend to be higher. Margins tend to be the same, but you know, revenue is higher. And it's easier for them to give you raises. The counter side is the opposite, right? You might lose your job if you have deflation or you're not getting raises. All. Maybe, they, maybe they cut your pay. Maybe you're in sales and sales are down. You might sell the same volume, but prices are down. That's deflation. That also makes it harder for you to pay back that mortgage. But then apply that to all different types of debt. And obviously that's going to lead to banks lending less money because they're afraid of more defaults. And that feeds into less economic activity, higher unemployment. And this is a negative feedback loop that you saw in 08. So in short, deflation leads to more deflation. And throughout most of U.S. history, periods of deflation usually go hand in hand with severe economic downturns. And that's what most people have. They have this PTSD of deflation from 08. Now, usually deflation is caused by a drop in, in aggregate demand, total demand. One could be monetary policy. Rising interest rates lead to people saving their cash instead of spending it, discouraging borrowing, making borrowing more expensive. And it could also be from declining confidence. You have adverse economic events. Think of the COVID crisis. Right? Oh, wait, was a, due to monetary events and, and, and poor lending standards before that. COVID was decline of confidence. What's going to happen? Global pandemic <clears throat> led to lower overall demand. So people spend less. In COVID crisis, they had to spend less. They couldn't go out and do things. And so ultimately, deflation is re the real boogeyman. Not inflation. You see that across a couple of years. Yeah, inflation sucks. It's hard to see prices go up, but 
Is it as bad as 08? No. Right? The Great Depression was a massive deflationary shock. And they didn't, that's what Perdanke studied in, in uh, he did his doctorate on about the mistakes that were made during the Great Depression was they didn't do things to spin the economy back out of the deflationary spiral using inflationary means, inflationary policy. And the only thing that spun us out of it was the war, World War II. And war is naturally inflationary. It's harder to do things. Things cost more money. There's more production of wartime materials. All of that is inflationary. And that's what really spun us out of it. It was that inflationary environment that I was creating. So this is crucial to understand these dynamics because this is what feeds into markets. Modest inflation... That is a good thing. It's a good thing. Makes paying back debts easier. All right. So I wanted to give you that perspective because it's a it's a very important dynamic to master to understand where the market is going. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina to talk about Social Security benefits. Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to make a comment about your recent call just about Social Security benefits and paying into it that sure. you just spoke about? I think most of the time of what you said is correct, but there are some situations where the more you work, it doesn't make a difference on how much benefits you get. And the conditions are if the benefits you get are based on your highest annual income for 35 years, the 35 years of your highest income where each year – Mm-hmm. is adjusted for inflation. So if you worked 35 years already and then your jobs in the next future years are lower in income, it, it makes no difference on that average and you won't get any more for Social Security at all. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I kind of knew that. That's a, that's a, it's a good point. Um, I was thinking key. of more yeah. people, you know, uh, typically getting raises, especially as they um, – are more seniored and you know usually you're you're still getting raises in those last years but like you said if you're going and you were working this really really good job for many years and now you're going to semi-retire and maybe you're going to go be a walmart reader or you're just going to you know work yeah. part-time somewhere not making much money then that's like you said not going to help you very much no that's the probably rare who asked the uh, question mentioned about the person who asked the question mentioned gave the example of working after the 65. So I don't know if the person meant working part-time or maybe having a senior job, but just want to yeah. take care of all the possibilities. <clears throat> if the person worked only a part-time job after 65 and, and the amount of income they earned during those part-time years after 65 is less than their, all their 35 highest years of income, that it won't make any difference at all. And you can run all the numbers at socialsecurity.com. You know, SSA.gov, mm-hmm. it actually to ask you whether or not you, what you expect your income to be in the future, and mm-hmm. you can see whether your 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 benefits will increase it or not. It be versus not having income at all. Yeah, it, it knows your entire record. Okay. Yeah, 
Great, great. Thanks for uh, thanks for the uh, the tip there. And and yeah, the SSA.gov is a pretty good website. It doesn't look amazing, um, you know, for it's just a government website, but there are some good resources over there. So everybody that is trying to figure out Social Security, uh, the, there's some uh, good things to go and, and look at over there. So uh, thanks, Gene, for the call and the clarification. And yeah, I guess uh, uh, you're right. If you are working kind of a part-time job to get you all the way to 70, that's not really going to boost your uh, your your overall payout, most likely. All right, let's go to Paul in Palm Springs looking at STIP. Oh, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I just want to get your take. Uh, I'm holding that ETF in a uh, in a balanced portfolio, and just want to get your take. Uh, the income has fluctuated quite a bit this year from where, what happened last year, and it was the payout was pretty good. I mm-hmm. just wanted to get your take on what you think of holding this ETF uh, uh, going forward. All right, this is the iShares zero to five year tips bond ETF, and that's what you're you're, you're buying into the short dated. TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And you're right, last year the payouts were pretty big because inflation was pretty high, and now that's come down. And so you have to be you have to be aware of that. Uh, and you know, I've I've never been a huge fan of of TIPS. I just don't think they are great inflation protectors. Uh, if I'm gonna own treasuries, I kind of rather just own treasuries because what happens is you buy when you buy tips you're buying them with some sort of embedded expectation for inflation and if that embedded expectation for inflation is lower than what you paid for it you're actually in the negative now if it's higher then you know you're you're obviously in the positive uh but ultimately i'm not a huge fan of them equities are better better inflation hedges if you're looking for that then, then do that, um, right? Buying gold would be a better inflation hedge than than tips. Now, it's a safe inflation hedge. You're not going to get a lot of volatility with it, but it's just not a great inflation hedge. And so that's why I just don't love it. I'd rather just own short-dated treasuries, uh, to be honest with you. But it's you know it's fine. Uh, I wouldn't say you need to dump it anytime soon or anything like that. But do know that that, ye, that, that income is going to come down because inflation uh, is coming down. All right. Make sense, Paul? Thank you. Yeah, it sure does. No problem. Thanks for the call. Now, this is Invest Talk. We have almost hit the 52 million download mark thanks to you. And our work continues after this quick 30 second break. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take? Profits. And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Stephen Justin, Art from Tucson here. I'm looking at Mueller Industries, Inc., MLI. Looks like a solid, um, small-cap industrial machinery. Uh, I'd like to get into this stock on a pullback. I'm just wondering what price point you think would be a good place to um, start a position. And I'll listen on the podcast. Thanks for all you do for us. Bye. All right. This is Mueller Industries. MLI is the symbol. 
And it looks like you've got that pullback. The pullback, it pulled back recently from about $75 per share down to 68 and change or 69 and, and change today, right around the 100 day moving average. So I think that's a pretty good support, to be honest with you. It's right where it, it broke out from and it's found some, some pretty solid support. It is a small cap. So, you know, having that volatility is uh, not. Not not to be or is to be expected. Excuse me. Uh, they make copper, brass, aluminum, plastic products, and their business has done very well during uh, the pandemic. They uh, make parts for HVAC systems, water distribution, refrigeration, and automotive. And most of the sales derive from the United States, so like a lot of uh, like a lot of small caps. But it does have operations uh, worldwide. So. Uh, I'm going to give this one a thumbs up on this pullback. Now, I do think it's over-earning right now. That's probably going to mean revert. Uh, and that's the big question is where will earnings mean revert to? Pre-pandemic, they were making less than $2 per share. 2022, they made $11.64. So that's your, your biggest risk there and why you need to keep an eye on it. Because um, if you start to see breakdown you know, below 60, I think that's a, a level that's going to give you an indication that that mean reversion has started in a big way. But so far, it's a kind of trading water in, in earnings. And uh, that means it should probably do fairly well uh, on the chart as well. So this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Annie from New York. I just want to say your podcast is the first one I look for. Thanks for all you do. My question is about Pioneer National Resources Company, PXD. I want to know if you think it's a good stock. Do you think that dividend is sustainable? And what is a good price to get in? Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. All right. This is Pioneer Natural Resources located in Irving, Texas. It's an independent EMP company producing out of the Permian Basin in Texas. And it's mainly focused on oil, less natural gas. That's, that's definitely helped it as of late. Now, it is paying about a 12% dividend. But understand that dividend has already come down, right? It's come down from 8.57 to $5.58, sorry, $8.57 all the way to $5.58. So the dividend's already been cut by 3 bucks from its high in the fall of last year. And that's what you need to understand uh, that, this is probably not uh, the dividend that you're going to get going forward, right? Uh, so <clears throat> it's going to fluctuate with earnings. Uh, a lot of these oil companies have put in clauses into their bylaws that their dividend is going to fluctuate with earnings. So a lot of these oil names don't expect the dividends to stay sustainable. So it uh, doesn't mean you don't buy it. doesn't mean it's not a good company. It is. Uh, it's trading enterprise value to EBITDA around four and a half. That's pretty cheap. Minimal debt on its balance sheet. Very profitable. And its business is, is good. And the chart is solid as well, although it has pulled back with the whole industry. 
but it's right, right below the 200-day moving average and it's uh, kind of consolidating uh, below some resistance. And the longer it consolidates here, the better chance it has for breaking out. So <clears throat> would I buy this? I think it's a good one. I think it's a good oil EMP company, but I'm not buying it because of the dividend. I'm not chasing that dividend because I don't expect that dividend to be sustained at these levels. But hey, maybe it gets cut in half. You're still getting 5%. I think that's certainly reasonable. Um, so I'm going to give Pioneer a thumbs up, but once again, not because of that dividend. Now, there's a new gold rush going on here in America, and it's a scramble for about a trillion dollars in new federal tax incentives and loans for green energy. And this is fueling a ton of money flooding in from corporate for corporate investment and reshaping a lot of local economies and a lot of very small economies as well around the country. And this spending is one of the biggest outlays of taxpayer finance, industrial stimulus, industrial policy since the New Deal. And it could transform the nation's economy and create millions and millions of jobs and up to $3 trillion in total clean energy investment during the next decade. And once again, small communities are the ones that are looking to provide incentives. Uh, one county in South Carolina is getting a $279 million investment, not from domestic producer, but from a Turkish company called Controlmatic. And they're going to spend, uh, they're going to get uh, about a billion dollars in federal tax credits over the next decade to build a battery making plant in that county. And that's going to create about 575 jobs. And obviously a lot of local tax revenue. And in return, the state and county are offering land grants and local tax breaks. And so what's interesting here is that these green businesses that are being set up are actually, in a lot of ways, being set up in kind of red states, a lot of Republican states in the South, the Rust Belt. Why? Because the local pay is lower, right? Their businesses, their economy has been hollowed out by exporting of jobs. And therefore, it's the first place that the importing of jobs in this, in this way will benefit those communities. And so this is, this is a big, big shift uh, potentially. Now, the big question is, will there be a lot of Solyndra's in here? Remember Solyndra? Got a lot of tax breaks and incentives during the financial crisis and then ultimately went bust a few years later. Uh, but it, it's really interesting to see where this goes and how this helps the local economies or the, the economy in general of the US. So I wanted to highlight that because it is a big, big, a big, a big step um, to deglobalizing uh, our, our industrial base. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This is this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes, and it's official. We have now surpassed the 51.9 million podcast download mark since it all began. So hopefully by the end of the week, we'll get to that 52 mark. Thanks to you, independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. 
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1 800 557 5461.